Hi, I'm Dennis Hester, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church Watauga, and we are grateful that you have tuned in to listen to these messages, either through our podcast or on our website. And as you listen to these, our prayer is that you would hear the Lord speak to you from His Holy Word. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can get on our website at fbcwatauga.org. From there, there's a place where you can plan a visit, you can learn more about our beliefs. You can also request prayer through the prayer request page. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. The most important thing that I'd communicate to you is as you listen to God's Word, that you find a place to get plugged into a local congregation, whether it's here at First Baptist or another local church where you live. If you'd like information or would like us to help you find a church home, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. And you can contact us through our Facebook page. So God bless you as you listen to His Word, and may the Lord encourage you in your walk. Good morning. I am excited to begin this new study with you today as we begin to look into James's letter to his scattered flock. And uh, as I've mentioned, if you have not had the opportunity to watch Wednesday night's Bible study, what I did on Wednesday night was I provided an introduction to James's letter, talking about which James wrote the letter and why we believe that and, and uh, several other, other introductory issues of this letter of James. And so today I just want to jump in. We're not going to do a whole lot of the introductory material. And I wanted to, wanted to begin with a story uh, that I shared with the staff the other day. In fact, I was a little hesitant to do this because it's kind of one of those uh, tear jerkers and, and a difficult story to tell. And when Susan and I had first gotten married, I was a student at uh, Howard Payne University in Brownwood. And I had sensed a call to the ministry when I was 16 years old. In fact, surrendered to that call to the ministry and the church at Leander First Baptist had recognized that call on my life and God's work in my life and had licensed me to the gospel ministry when I was 18, right before I went off to college. And, 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 and yet I didn't have a sense of what God was gonna do with me in the ministry. I didn't know if he was gonna call me into the pastorate or, or uh, send me to be a missionary overseas. And in fact, part of my... Uh, uh, proposal to Susan when I asked her to marry me was, would you be willing to live in a dung hut in Africa somewhere if that's where God called us? Because I just had the sense that, that, that uh, I was surrendering my life to Christ and I did not know where that might lead. And yet, as I uh, began my studies at Howard Payne University and uh, I was about a sophomore at Howard Payne, I began to have the strong sense that God was calling me to the pastorate, to the pastoral ministry. And I really struggled with that because, uh, you know, there was some excitement and some unknown about other areas, but I saw what pastors did. Pastors took care of people. They had to love on people. They had to be there when people went through difficult times. And, and I remember telling the Lord in my quiet time, I, I just don't like people that much. You know, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, going off on an adventure, even if it's scary and life-threatening. But Lord, I don't have that heart that connects with people when they're going through hard times. In fact, most of the time when I saw someone going through a hard time, especially if, if it was because of something they did, I just want to look at them and say, well, if you'd quit being so stupid, you wouldn't be going through this. Well, that doesn't help a lot from a pastoral standpoint. And so I remember praying for days and even weeks in my quiet time that the Lord would, would change me, that if he was calling me to be a pastor, that somehow he would give me a pastor's heart. I had no idea 
what that might mean. And I'll be real honest with you, looking back on all of the things that have happened in my life, I'm very careful and wanna be very hesitant about making this connection too directly. But many of you know that right at the end of my, uh, when I was a senior in college, uh, Susan became pregnant with, a, with Katie, our, our daughter, and we were all excited about what, what we were gonna have our first child. She had a year left in school. I was finishing school. I was getting ready to go to seminary, and, and everything just looked wonderful and perfect until the day Katie was born. And Katie was born with several birth defects, some of which were uh, life-threatening. In fact, some of which the doctors told us she may not live through the night or through the week. And over that next several years, in fact, especially the first few years, uh, the trials came quickly and came hard and were harsh. And we spent a lot of time in hospitals. Uh, when she was three years old, we'd already spent over 400 nights inpatient in hospitals, and she'd had over 21 surgeries. And so I began to realize that whether or not God directly caused Katie to be born with those birth defects and caused those trials, certainly God was using those trials to purify my faith and to give me a pastor's heart. And certainly, I was changed through those years and through those trials. Today, when, as we come to this first lesson from James, we're gonna be looking at how to deal with trials God's way. James starts off his letter to his scattered flock by addressing this issue. What do you do when trials come your way? And certainly, the reason that his flock was scattered, now, if you go back and listen to Wednesday night, we believe, uh, I believe that James was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. The James who wrote this letter was James, who was the, the brother of Jesus, who is pastoring at the church in Jerusalem, who, while he was pastoring there, came under great persecution, and the church was scattered. You see it in, in the book of Acts, especially the first you know, maybe chapter seven through 12, you, you see this, this scattering of the church under the persecution that was taking place right there in Jerusalem. And so when you read chapter one, and, and he, James is writing to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, he's, he's writing to Jewish Christians who have been scattered. And the very first practical issue of life that James addresses uh, to his flock is... What do you do when you face trials? How do you face trials in God's way? Or how do we understand our trials? So read with me James chapter one. We're gonna begin in verse one. The message really today begins in verse two. Verse one is the introductory stuff. But the scripture says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. 
Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like the flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. As you read through these first 12 verses, I want you to take note of a couple things as I, I kind of set off this passage. He begins in verse two very clearly addressing this issue of trials in a person's life. Consider great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. And then when you come to verse 12, he comes back to that. It's kind of a concluding statement. Blessed is the one who endures trials. I'll be honest with you, when I read this first half of the first chapter of James, especially in the past as I've worked through this letter, oftentimes I struggle with why does James seem so scatterbrained? Why does he go from trials to dealing with wisdom to dealing with the issue of the rich and the poor and then coming back to trials? I've seen some commentators argue that, well, those are some themes that, that he's gonna deal with later on and so he's just kind of introducing them here and he's, he's a, a, a addressing each of those uh, in an introductory way and he'll come back to them later. But as I begin to dig into this text, I begin to fully believe that verses five through 11 directly related to trials. He was, he was telling us about how we're gonna deal with trial, how we're gonna understand the trials that we go through. And, and so he gives us some very practical advice there and that's what I wanna walk through. There's four main items here, uh, big points of, of practical advice that I want you to see that helps us as we face trials in life. Now certainly, I'll pause for just a moment because uh, for many of us, what we're going through right now in our country, in our own families, in our homes, some of us because of the, the actual health issues of the coronavirus, some of us because of the, the extended uh, residual uh, effects of the lockdown and the economic situations, the loss of jobs, we are facing trials in our culture and our life that are unprecedented. They're not necessarily worse than anything our country's faced before, but they're certainly different than anything our country's faced before. And so we come to this time and we kind of wonder, how do we, how do we deal with it spiritually? How, how, do, how do we face the trial God's way? And I think the, 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 the primary points that James gives us here are uh, fruitful for our time. They're helpful for us to face the trial that we're going through right now. So point number one found in the first three verses there, verses two through four, is to trust God's purpose in the trial. Now he begins, in fact, it's interesting that he kicks this off with a command and says, consider great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through various trials. There are not many of us who, when we see a trial coming, go, yippee, I'm gonna get hurt. You know, we don't see it that way. I'm about to go through the fire. And, and, and that's, that's not something that we normally think of, uh, of, of a joyous time. And so certainly James's command, and that's what it is, it's an imperative there, consider it a great joy 
uh, seems strange to us. But the reason that James gives us that command and the reason that he can give us that instruction is because we are focused on the purpose of God in our trial. Understanding that when we go through various trials, God is at work to do something in us, through us, and and, and even for us that's gonna, gonna accomplish his purposes. And his purposes are always greater than our purposes. They're always more valuable. They're always grander. They're always more lasting than any purpose that we might have. And so when he says, consider it all joy, take into account that he's not talking about necessarily being happy about the pain, but rejoicing in what God's gonna do when we come out the other side. And this is a common theme in scripture. Jesus talks about how, how you know, we, we embrace pain and suffering oftentimes because we look forward to what the result is. He talks to, uh, to women who, who are in birth or about to give birth and he talks about how that pain, uh, even in that pain there's rejoicing because you know the outcome, uh, the child that's gonna come on the other side of that pain. And so, Athletes understand this. It's the hard work and the pain that that we put in before a race and and sometimes for weeks and months and years before a race or before a competition to prepare our bodies and it can be painful and trying and difficult but it prepares us for, for the future, prepares us for what's to come. And so you look toward God's purpose in that pain and God's purpose is clear here. You know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. In fact, trials and endurance when we're walking with the Lord go together. But you'll only endure trials through faith by putting your trust and faith in the God who empowers you and enables you to face those trials. And it's that testing of our faith. And the word testing there does not, it's not like a school test. It's not that God's trying to see if you're gonna pass or fail. It's God allowing you to go through the trial so that your faith is purified, so that it creates endurance. It's, it's like a, a, a bodybuilder when they, when they lift weights and there's, there's actually a breaking down of the muscles and then the muscle regrows and it grows back stronger each time. And, and they go through that pain and they go through that process for a purpose, knowing that, that on the, the outcome of that, as the muscles are tested, they're purified, they're gonna come out stronger. And so we recognize that God is purifying, he's testing our faith, and it produces endurance in us. And that endurance, in verse four, has a further effect. He says, James says here, it has its full effect so that you are mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, that, that never, it doesn't mean that we ever achieve a position of perfection. We're never gonna be 100% completely sinless in our flesh, but As Christ is at work in the believer, especially through trials and testing, God is enabling us and he's equipping us and he is preparing us for his purposes. So that, in just a personal illustration, I could go back to that first story. You know, back in in 1983, when I sensed God's call on my life to the ministry, I was not prepared to be a pastor. And, and even in 1985, when I started college, graduated high school, and the church at Leander licensed me to the ministry, I was not prepared to be a pastor. God knew what it was gonna take to prepare me. I had a good friend who was a, a fellow uh, student there at Howard Payne University, and 
his name was Paul Blizzard, and his family went through something similar uh, in those days. He, in fact, he had a little girl named Jenny who needed a liver transplant and passed away when she was seven years old. So when Katie was born, one of the first people that I wanted to talk to was Paul. And Paul was in uh, Kentucky uh, going to Southern Seminary at that time. And, you know, back in that day, it was kind of hard to find phone numbers. You couldn't look them up on the internet. And so uh, you, you called uh, the, 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 asked for, what do you call that? Information. But I asked for information for Louisville, Kentucky. And I got a number where I could contact that. And they found a Paul Blizzard living in that area. And I remember calling him from the neonatal ICU waiting room at Cook's Children's Fort Worth Hospital when Katie was probably a little less than a week old and I just told him what was going on and Paul shared some incredible advice with me. He said, the Lord has chosen to take you through his school of suffering. And he said, you'll learn more in the next six months than you will have learned in all of your years of school or seminary about ministry. And I found that to be true. Now, I did not purposely enroll in God's school of suffering. God chose to enroll me there. And yet, his testing prepared me and equipped me for the ministry that God had me headed toward. That I didn't even know where I was headed. And so we can trust God's purposes. Second, and I believe that this directly connects to trials, though some would separate these paragraphs out, as I said earlier. Seek wisdom in faith. See, the picture that he gives us here is that storms are gonna come. If you happen to be in a boat out on the sea, when the storms begin to rage, and you have not been buoyed by wisdom from God by faith, you're gonna be tossed around by the storms. Uh, you, your boat is gonna, gonna, gonna be filled with water. You may capsize. You, your faith may be sunk. And so in the midst of storms and in the midst of trials, one piece of advice that James gives his flock, his readers, is pray for godly wisdom. Pray that God give you wisdom to walk through and endure the storm. Because God will grant wisdom to those who ask in those circumstances. Now, one of the first things that I always want to ask God when I, when I start going through a difficult time or a trial or a storm is, why? God doesn't always give me the answer to that question. Sometimes he gives me a sense of his purpose, but not always. Another question that I want to ask sometimes of God is, is when's this going to be over? God doesn't always give me the answer to that question either. But sometimes he gives me a sense of a timetable. God may not answer the specific questions that we have about our trials, but God will give us wisdom to endure the trials. And he'll walk with you through them. So seek wisdom. But seek wisdom in faith. Understanding that God may not show me the whole picture. I may not ever see the entire picture 
of, of the purpose that God had for Katie. In fact, I believe that God has used Katie's life in the 15 years that she was on this earth. I believe that he's used her in so many ways. There's no way I could fully understand the impact of her life over those 15 years. And so I'll never know all of the, the impact. I'll never completely understand everything God was doing. And I'll be honest, there's still some things and some decisions that God made and, and some directions that he led us during that time that I don't like. But that's okay. Because I trust God. And he's given me the wisdom that I need to navigate the rough seas. And so when we find ourselves facing trials, Pray for God to give you wisdom to face the rough seas, but pray in faith. It's not because you're fatigued. It's not because you're worn out. It's because you believe that you worship and you serve a mighty God who reigns over the storms, who, who has purpose even in the trials. And, and certainly I believe even trials that maybe God didn't, plan but he allowed he has purpose in those trials for our lives and his promise is that he will bring good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose Paul tells us that he will work those things together for good so seek wisdom ask God how you can navigate those trials and as you do he will provide the wisdom for you to do it so trust his purposes. Seek wisdom in faith. Third, remember that trials are temporary and so is life. <laughs> he, he addresses two opposite ends of the spectrum here and, uh, of, of people who face trials. He, he talks about the poor and he talks about the rich. Uh, James doesn't have anything to say about the middle class in here. I, it is not because he was ignoring the middle class. It's because James was giving us some direction. He, he had a bigger point to make. He had something that he wanted to teach us. And so he says, and, and, and he deals with the issue of, of the poor and the rich in the church later on. But in this, in this paragraph, he says, let the brothers of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. Let the rich boast in their humiliation. Uh, let me break that down for you and, and look at three different pieces of this. But under this heading, remember that trials are temporary and so is life. The poor, those who don't, seem, those who don't have means to care for themselves, who, who, who are facing horrible trials, who are facing difficulty. James instructs the poor to trust in God's riches, to trust in a God who's gonna provide for them, a God who's gonna make sure that, that they have what they need to navigate the trials. So to the poor, he says, trust in his riches. Boast in, in the exaltation. Boast in what God's gonna give you. Brag about how God's gonna take care of you. Brag about how God's gonna bring you through and about how he's gonna lift you up. Because the poor certainly understand they don't have the means to navigate a lot of the trials that come in this world. And so, so James is saying, trust in God to carry you through. Don't trust in your stuff. And, and, and the poor don't have a lot of stuff to trust in. And so he says, trust in God and boast that God's riches are gonna provide. God is gonna take care of you. And to the wealthy, he says, but you guys who have the stuff, you guys who have the means, you guys who have the money, you need to focus on the fact that everything you have is short term. 
And so remember the brevity of your riches. Your riches will not last. You know, there's one thing that trials do is they often level the playing field. Right now as we face the coronavirus, the coronavirus does not know if you're rich or if you're poor. What we find is the coronavirus seems to be less deadly to people that are younger or uh, people that are, that are more healthy anyway. It just makes sense. It's less of a deadly threat. But it, the coronavirus does not distinguish between poverty and riches. It doesn't matter. You know what? That's true of most disasters in life. You realize that cancer does not distinguish between the poor or the rich. Heart disease doesn't distinguish between the poor or the rich. Uh, hurricanes, they love people that build mansions on the beach. They come straight for those guys. They don't care if you're poor or rich. Those kind of trials, storms that come in life don't distinguish between the rich and the poor. Ultimately, those storms uh, don't know the difference. And storms in come in life for everyone, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. And so James's instruction is, you better be looking toward God. If you're poor, be looking toward God to take care of you. If you're rich, you better be looking toward God to take care of you because all of those goods that you have are gonna fade away like a flower in the hot sun. They're gonna disappear. So ultimately, remember that those, those trials don't distinguish. But also remember that those trials are temporary. And that's one of the most, the best pieces of advice that, that we can have in how we face trials because ultimately trials that we face in this life are always temporary. Well, some would say, but what if you have an incurable ailment? What, what if you have a, 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 a disease that leads to death? Well, certainly, Scripture wants us to remember that this body is only temporary anyway. And so, our trials, any trial that comes on us in this world is only temporary. Even to the extent that it takes our last breath. Scripture says that if you're a believer in Jesus, you'll take your next breath in the presence of God. So, the trials that we face on this earth are only temporary. What can man do to me? There's only so much man can do. Because God has implanted in us an eternal being. And so remember that your trials are only temporary just as life is temporary. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, there's gonna come a time when this tent's folded up. And the bottom line is not gonna be how much you owned or how much you did or how many places you went or uh, or all the things you accomplished. It, it, the bottom line is not even gonna be how many things you tried or attempted or you accomplished for God. The bottom line is gonna be, are you walking by faith in Christ? Are you walking by faith in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Have you chosen to follow Christ? Because this life and these storms are temporary. And what matters is what God is doing through us in these storms. So trust God's purpose, seek wisdom and faith, and remember, and this always helps us deal with trials, remember that our trials are only temporary. And then finally, keep your eyes on the finish line. And this is where James comes back in verse 12, 
and gives us a promise of, of a reward in the future. But essentially, he brings us back to this idea of, of trials. He says, blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So for those who love God, those who have put their faith and trust in God and in the Savior whom he sent. We celebrated two weeks ago on Easter, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Those who love him and seek him, they have a future that is unending. And God has a, has a crown, an eternal reward that he offers to those who trust him. Even when we face the trials and go through the struggles of this life, I wanted to, uh, one other picture I wanted to give you, a word picture for what trials do for us is, uh, it comes from a gift I received from my wife uh, actually a couple weeks ago. It was something that, that we'd kind of planned together. Some of you know Jeff Davidson. Jeff Davidson is a young man who uh, uh, really came to this church when he was in high school, uh, young high school, and so got to see him grow up. He actually went on some trips to uh, uh, Peru uh, on the, to the mission field with us. And, and uh, now Je Jeff always had a dream that he wanted to, to make knives. And uh, he now has got a, a side business going, Jeff Davidson Custom Knives, and he does absolutely incredible work. Uh, one of the, the things that he did for me, working with Susan, she, she wanted to buy me a hunting knife from him. And so we kind of got together and uh, uh, planned out what I wanted but when he first, he told me, he said, now every step of the way, I'm gonna send you pictures of what's going on. And the first couple times, he just kept sending me pictures of him cooking my knife. He had taken this piece of metal and he beat it to death with a hammer and then he would stick it in the fire and cook it until it was glowing red and he'd take it back out of the fire and then he'd cool it off and then he'd put it in the fire again. I finally, after a couple, it was probably a week or two, I said, Jeff, how many times are you gonna cook my knife? And, uh, you know, he explained a little bit of the process, but it was something I kind of already knew. He was tempering that steel. He was using a very high quality steel. And by tempering that steel, he was bringing out the very best characteristics of that metal. And for a couple purposes. One, so that it would be usable. Uh, most importantly, so that it would be strong and so that it would have a hard surface to the extent that I've learned that with, with this knife, and you know, this is the kind of knife that I can pass down to my kids and grandkids as long as I don't lose it. Uh, so it, it, it. The steel is so hard that it will rarely have to be sharpened. All I have to do is polish the edge because the, the steel will hold its edge because of that tempering process. It has made it... Uh, more usable than anything I could have ever bought at the store. It's made it more lasting and it will endure and be able to complete its purpose for which it was created because it went through the fire over and over and over. See, the good news, when we go through trials, we can trust a God who is allowing us to go through the fire to make us stronger so that we will endure he creates endurance, a hardness, not a hard heart, but a hardening of our faith so that we can be usable for his purposes, mature, complete, so that then God can then use us to accomplish his purposes. So we embrace the trials. We, we certainly can rejoice in the trials. Would I say that I was fully elated 
with the idea that God chose Susan and I when we were in our younger 20s, like 22 years old. I was 22, she was 21. Would I say that I was fully elated that God chose us for what Paul called his school of suffering? No, probably not. But I can certainly look at what God accomplished and what God has done in my life through that time. I can look around and, and identify people who came to faith in Christ because of the trials that Katie went through and because of the difference that it made in Susan and I. And God's purpose in that is certainly worth it. So I wanna leave you with two things before I close. First of all, as you go through this trial, and, and for every person, this trial of that we as a culture, that we as a church family that we're going through, every one of us faces a little bit different. Every one of us is struggling with different trials through us. Extroverts are, are really struggling because they can't get out and hug people. Uh, others are, are struggling because they've lost jobs. And so it, it, your trial may be different than others from the circumstances we find ourselves in. But as you go through this trial, look to God's word for his advice and his direction. And James gives us four pretty good points right here, four pretty good things to hang on to. Trust God's purposes. Seek his wisdom in faith as you navigate the trials. Remember that these trials are temporary, but also is your life. And finally, keep your eye on the finish line. Keep your eye on the prize. One of the things that helps us navigate the pain of a hard race is when we can see the finish line and we know that there's hope and that there's, a, there's, there's something there for us, a prize at the end. So if you're a believer, if you know Christ is your personal savior already, I would encourage you to embrace these truths. Hold on to the Lord as you walk through these trials and yes, even rejoice that God has chosen you to go through this time. One of the groups of people that I've prayed for the most in recent days are our high school seniors. Those young men and women who are in sports and, and some of you in our church, you know who you are. You, you've played uh, softball or you've run track or you've played baseball and you've worked hard and you've been in the gym and you've run miles for the endurance runners and now you're, joy and the thrill of the competitions and the meets have been taken away from you and it hurts. Some of you are salutatorians and valedictorians who have worked hard to finish that race, to be able to be up on stage and receive that grand reward and, and now it's been taken away. You miss out on it and there's a lot of questions and it creates in us a, a lot of struggles and even a lot of doubts. God's word would encourage us to, to face it with faith. You know, I, I've seen a joke going around that said the, the seniors of this 2020 class, they'll forever be the senior skip day champions, right? There's not a whole lot you can embrace in this, but you've skipped more days than any senior class ever. Uh, we skipped one when I was in high school. We thought we were so cool. Y'all are the coolest. We say that jokingly, but I understand that, that, that the this trials are tough, but it also suggests to me that God has a purpose for you. God's doing something 
in this year's senior class. He's purifying you and he's preparing you and he's got a plan for you and he's got a purpose for you. Some people aren't gonna make it. Their doubts, their struggles in the storms are gonna capsize their vessels. But some of you are gonna embrace and consider it joy that God has chosen you to go through this time and you can't wait to see what God has for you on the other side. Consider it joy. If you're a believer and you're a follower of Christ, consider it joy that he has chosen you for this special time and he's got a purpose for you. There's something that you're gonna be able to teach us and you're gonna be, be able to teach those that come behind you that no one else could ever teach them. Embrace that purpose that God has for you. Embrace it by faith. I mean, if you're not a believer, if you have not put your faith in Christ and you haven't made that decision to follow him, that promise of a reward at the end is not there for you. It's just the sad truth. Scripture tells us that there is only one way to receive that eternal reward, and that is through a relationship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. There's no other way. There's no other way to eternal life. There's no other way to heaven outside of Jesus. So I would encourage you to embrace Christ as you go through these trials, as you face this suffering. Look to, look to Jesus if you have any questions and, and, and you'd say, well, I, I, I've never sought Christ. I've never sought to follow Christ. I've never been baptized. I, I really don't know if I were to die today that I'd go to heaven. I wanna encourage you to reach out to someone. Reach out to me. Reach out to, to, to Brother Kevin who's online right now and, and, and find out how because this life is temporary just like these trials. This life is short and compared to eternity. And, and, and if the Lord uses this coronavirus, this pandemic, to remind us of how short life is and how important a relationship with his, praise be to God, can't we count it joy that many will come to him by faith and trust him as their savior.